This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today is not our pastor of education, Sam Kastensmith, because I'm not really here either. I'm on vacation as my family gathers out of town for the wedding of our eldest child. We are all thrilled to watch our son get married. We love his fiance, who's already become a part of this family, and I hope this happy news makes you smile as well. Sam and I talked about what to do during our break. I'm away for two weeks, and the church is closed between Christmas and New Year's, so we needed three weeks of coverage. I suggested that I look for some episodes of the radio show I produced for the church, Hope with Tom Hendricks, especially if I could find an Advent series. And so, I did. We're going to step into the Wayback Machine here for a series of messages called God Gave that were delivered at Rio in 2010. There were actually four messages in the series, three preached by our senior pastor Tom Hendricks and one delivered by another pastor on staff, and I've decided just to use the three preached by Tom. So that's what you'll be hearing this week on Out of Water. I've left in the production elements of the radio show, so you'll hear it just as it was broadcast. I hope you enjoy that aspect of it. I'll be back to say goodbye at the end. Sam and I will return after this three-week break right at the start of the new year with more fresh episodes of Out of Water, and I can't wait to be back at it. But in the meantime, I'm going to celebrate this joyous occasion with my family. Without further ado, here is an episode of Hope with Tom Hendricks. The God of reversals has come, and he's come to do a work of reversal in every man, woman, and child who will submit to his authority, his rulership, and will receive the free gift of his salvation, and then through every man, woman, and child who does that. In other words, God wants to commission you to be an agent of reversal. This is Hope with Tom Hendricks. Welcome, friends, to another broadcast of Hope, the radio ministry of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Pastor Tom Hendricks. We're delighted that you've tuned in today. We trust the study of God's Word through this radio ministry is a blessing to you, and you'll make an appointment to gather with us every week at this time. If you enjoy these messages, please tell a friend about us and encourage them to listen also. Last week, we began a journey together in which we'll examine the gift and the cost of Christmas. For God, the gift of Christmas to us was the gift of His Son, and that was also the cost of Christmas to God, because His Son was born to die for His people. Through the generations, there has been a gift and a cost to Christmas for God's people as well, beginning with the very first Christmas generation, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We saw her remarkable willingness to undertake God's mission for her, despite the risks to her engagement, her family, and even her own body. But the advent of the Lord Christ was worth any risk, and Mary was willing to pay any cost. 
Today, we'll pick up with the story as Mary is forced to make a hasty exit from town and run to the one place where she knew she'd find people who believed her story. Mary needed to hear that she was not crazy, but that she was blessed of God to carry out this holy purpose. We'll see Mary's reaction as she considers her life stretching out before her, a life that would be marked by difficulty and suffering. We'd like to remind you that if you want a study guide for this series of messages, those can be downloaded for free from our website, riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. You'll see the big button labeled Study Guides right there on the home page. You'll also find links to our page on Facebook, where we post events and short inspirational messages, and to Pastor Tom's feed on Twitter, where he shares his thoughts with us throughout the week. You can also find the audio for the sermons these radio broadcasts are created from, if you'd like to hear the complete and unedited messages. We hope you'll take advantage of these free resources. Let's join Tom now for part two of God Gave, a look at the gift and the cost of Christmas. Here's Tom. Last week we got together and we started out the Christmas season and I said, you know, we're going to call this series God Gave, a look at the gift and cost of Christmas. And then I spent some time developing that title with you because I wanted you to understand that we're not going to just talk about the gift of Jesus that God gave on that first Christmas and then the cost that God then paid through the life and through the death and through the burial and through the resurrection of Jesus that he might purchase us, that he might redeem us, that he might clean us, that he might forgive us, that he might call us into a relationship with him, bring us into his family as his children, make us citizens of heaven give all of the benefits which are inexhaustible of Christ, not just to him, but also to us. We're not just going to look at the great reversal that God created for each one of us through the gift of Christ and through the price that he paid through Jesus and through the very faith that he gives us by which we embrace that Savior. But having looked at that, we're going to stop every week and go, wow, Okay, so in light of that, God, what gift do you want me to give? What cost do you want me to pay? What need do you want me to meet? And not, I mean, I'm not talking about gifts to people who don't need for you to get them anything. I'm talking about people who need, in some cases, just about everything. What genuine need of a genuinely needy person would you have me to meet this Christmas, this year? Let me nuance it. Whose future would you have for me to be a part of reversing spiritually and physically because God is the great reverser. He reverses fortunes. It's what he does. And he does it by his spirit through regular folks like you and I. We pick up the Christmas story this morning exactly where we left it off last week, which if you missed it is with a pregnant Mary. She is pregnant with the Son of the living God, and she has a really, truly bizarre explanation for this pregnancy. She's going with the story of virgin birth. I want you to put that on and walk around in it for a second. I need for you to understand this morning that that is the story of a crazy person. Is it not? I mean, unless it's true, that's nuts. And it sounds like a lie. Who's going to believe that? 
Would you have believed that? I don't think anybody believes it, quite frankly. At least not in Mary's life, at least not in Mary's day, and at least not initially. I I don't think anybody's buying the story, and I think that's part of what Luke is telling us right here out of the gate in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. Because he says this, he says, now at this time, meaning immediately after the conception of Jesus, Mary arose, and then Mary did something that no young lady in her culture would have done. She arose and went, by herself is the idea, in a hurry, so this is an urgent deal, to the hill country, to a city of Judah. Now, I say that no young lady in her day and age and culture and position would have done that because people like Mary, women like Mary, rarely even left their home. They definitely didn't take 70-mile journeys across the country by themselves. Luke is trying to communicate something to us, and I think what he's communicating is that the virgin birth story is not going so well with mom. It's not playing so well with dad. Joseph, you know, I mean, come on. And it might even start at some point to be seeping out into the community. You see, which unless it's true, it's a stonable offense. Punishable by death. Now, they didn't stone people in those days the way that they might have much earlier, but, but it gives you a little bit of a feel, doesn't it? And can you imagine how fast that story would have traveled? I mean, the, the pregnancy itself is scandalous enough, but it's not actually, you know, something I did. I mean, it's God has done this to me. Little peasant Mary, little slave to the Roman Empire, little girl from the town of Nazareth, which even the Jews despised. And God has chosen you. Right. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went alone and in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now, why did she go there? Well, if you missed last week, because Elizabeth also is miraculously pregnant, and her miraculous pregnancy also was announced in advance to her or to her husband by an angel. And then on top of that, when the angel came to Mary and said, hey, good news, kind of, sort of, you're about to become pregnant with the son of the living God, he also said, and by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, also miraculously pregnant. It's pretty obvious that Mary went to their house because she realized pretty quick that, I mean, these are the only two people on the planet who are actually going to buy this thing. These are the only two people on the planet who are actually going to believe her, who are not going to say that she's nuts. So she entered the house of Zecharias, it says, and greeted Elizabeth, which was the custom of the day. You know, I mean, the traveler would greet the host. So she enters into the house, and she's the traveler. Elizabeth's the host. She greets the host. But here is the other part of the custom that maybe you don't know. The other part of the custom is then that at that point in the conversation, the lesser person in the relationship would then confer a blessing upon the greater person in the relationship, and it's not, you know, unclear as to who that would have been. Elizabeth is older. Elizabeth has different status, different position. Elizabeth is clearly the greater, at least culturally speaking, in this relationship. And so here comes Mary. She busts in the door. She is the traveler. Elizabeth is the host. She greets her host. And what you're expecting next, if you know the culture, is now she's going to bless Elizabeth. And she doesn't. 
she doesn't have a chance. Because God intervenes, and he begins the theme of reversal in this text. He begins turning things around. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, meaning Elizabeth's baby, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So now she's going to deliver a message, and who is it going to be from? From God. She will speak for the Lord. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you. Mary's like, no, no, I'm supposed to say that. She's like, shh, shh, quiet. Blessed are you. Greater are you. More favored are you. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And you've got to feel that from Mary's heart and from her perspective for a second because that is a radically different message from the message that she fled from in Nazareth. Very different from the message of mom. Very different from the message of dad. Very different from the message of Joseph. Very different from the message of the villagers who did not call her blessed. They called her nuts and liar and whore. And even if they didn't have the temerity to say it, their stares, their finger pointing, their little whispers, their little murmurs said it all. But when she gets to Elizabeth or Elizabeth's house, it's all reversed, isn't it? It's all different. God sees Mary very differently then do some of the very significant voices in her life. Voice of mom, voice of dad, voice of fiance, voice of who else? School teachers, aunts, uncles, employers. It's fascinating. And maybe that's a good word today. You know, I think sometimes we follow God and people don't understand. People get a little confused. And we don't get the benefit of the doubt at times. And I don't know, sometimes we deserve criticism, but other times we're misunderstood and people question our character or our gifts or our abilities or our calling or our desires or our motivations or our intentions or our integrity or our whatever. And sometimes I think it's nice, perhaps when the Holy Spirit says, you know, God sees you a little differently. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice, and she said, blessed are you. Shh, don't say anything about me. Let me talk about you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. If you're counting reversals, that's number one. And she goes on and says, how has it happened to me? She's marveling that the mother of my Lord would come to me, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who has what? What is Elizabeth about to do? She's the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is about to tell Mary and you and me and anyone else who will listen what it is that God blesses. And it's faith. Blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And how do we know that she believes? Well, faith shows up in action, doesn't it? It shows up in your life. God came to her through the angel, said, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God, Holy Spirit. 
And what did she say? Be it done to me according to your word. And in saying that, what did she give? She gave everything, even her body. It's a faith that sacrifices. It's a faith that is selfless. It's a faith that gives. It's a faith that does. And it's a faith that asks questions like, you know, hey, um, God, in light of what you've given, in light of what you've paid, in light of the need that you've met for me, whose fortunes do you want me to be a part of reversing? Elizabeth says, and blessed is she who has believed it's your faith that God blesses, that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary is so overwhelmed. She is so moved. She is so captured. She is so encouraged by this message after this long journey where she has fleed from Nazareth that she sings. And it's magnificent. Mary says, my soul, and I want you to take the next word and replace it with the word magnifies. My soul exalts, no, literally, my soul magnifies the Lord. There's a lot to learn from this girl. She's saying, I understand the purpose of my life, and not just of my life, but of your life, of everybody's life. And what is that exactly? She's saying, look, there is this sense in which my life, that God has created in every circumstance in it that he has governed over and handed to me, my life is to serve as a magnifying glass that is ever more focused on the Lord. The word magnifies is in a tense in the Greek language that indicates that it's not like something you do once. You go, okay, magnified God, check that off the list. We're done. I can go off and do what I want now. It continually magnifies. My life, my soul, my heart, my mind, my circumstances, my body, my everything that is me or attached to me has a purpose, and it is to magnify God. It is not to make much of me. It's to make much of Him. It's not to make me look bigger. It's to make Him look bigger. It's not, you know, to set its focus so that, you know, when everybody looks at me, what they see is me more clearly. It is to be used to focus on God so that through me, people can see him more clearly. But you got to step back for a second and say, okay, so God has orchestrated and manufactured. He's created her soul. He's created her life just like he's done for you and I. Well, what is the nature and character then of this magnifying glass life that he's given to her? What marks it? What marks it is difficulty. What marks it is suffering. Though she is sane, she's going to be called nuts. Though she is truthful, she's called a liar. Though she is absolutely pure, she's called a whore. And not just for a little while, but really for the rest of her life. I mean, it's true that Elizabeth and Zechariah believe her, so let's count, shall we? That's two people. I'm not overwhelmed by that yet, are you? And they're 70 miles away from home. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Joseph, we'll see next week, after an angel convinces him, after a vision from God hits him, I mean, God has to intervene and say, you know, this is real, but Joseph believes her. Now we're up to three. Anyone else? Okay, here's the thing. 33 years later, after Jesus has risen from the dead... 
and all of his claims have been found true? Well, the Holy Spirit convinces what, relatively speaking, is a small group of people known as Christians, and they believe and rightly revere this woman, but let us never idealize her life. Most of the people for most of her life don't believe her and mark her as impure, which tells us, I think, something about suffering. This little girl is teaching us something. See, she can foresee that. That's not difficult to figure out. She's had 70 miles of walk to figure that out. Would have taken about half a mile, don't you think? And yet she's filled with an inexpressible joy. And she recognizes that her life is to magnify God even in the midst of her suffering. She's teaching us that suffering is not something to just be endured and gotten through. Suffering instead is something to be embraced as an opportunity. In fact, one of our greatest opportunities to most clearly magnify God. To reveal to the people who watch us most uniquely when we suffer that our God is worthy of our love and devotion and worship and trust and obedience and all of these things, our reverence, our service, all of it, even during the tough times. Even during these times when somebody like Mary is being persecuted specifically because of her devotion to Christ, to the bringing forth of the gift of Christmas. And so Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard, she says, for the humble state of his bondservant. And then she drops kind of a head scratcher if you're playing along and thinking. She says, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And you want to stop and go, really, all generations? I mean, I know most, but really all, Mary? What about your generation? Because last I checked, it was finger pointing, it was staring, it was whispering, it was murmuring, it was horror. What about them? Okay, what about them? What do you think they call her now? Because I think that either from heaven or hell, right now, the word is blessed. As it is for every generation that has ever lived or ever will. And Mary sees that by faith in the midst of her suffering, and that becomes the cause of her rejoicing. And that too, I think, is a lesson from this girl. She cares more, it seems to me, about what people are going to think about her for all of eternity than she does about what people think about her in her own little hometown in the moment and in her day. And she's able to do that because she knows that one day her cause will be justified before everyone and forever, and that one day her name will be cleared before all generations who then bless her, and one day her reputation will be vindicated. She has committed herself to the cause of Christ, and she is willing to bear the indignity of it if that's what it takes. She's willing to pay the price of it if a price needs to be paid, and she's willing to do all of it looking ahead into eternity, knowing that God reverses the fortunes of all of us, and He reverses our sufferings and returns them to us in eternal glory and joy. There's motivation in that. There's impetus to get involved, I think, 
in that. And then so she just goes off with this song of reversals. We've already had one, right? Let's just follow it through. He says, for, she says, for God has re- had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Well, that's reversal number two, by the way, if you're counting. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation, not just my generation, every generation, but not for everyone. It's very specific toward those who fear him, toward those who stand in reverential awe of him, toward those who recognize him for who he is and for what he's done, and who in light of that say things like, be it done to me according to your word, whatever that may be. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, she continues. He has scattered. It's all in the past tense. Did you notice that? He has scattered all those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. That's reversal number three for the accountants. He has brought down rulers from their throne. That's four. And has exalted those who were humble. That's five. And has filled the hungry with good things. That's six. And has sent away the rich, meaning the dishonest and unjust rich. Empty-handed, that's seven. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And you kind of want to, you know, kind of break into the narrative and go, okay, Mary, I hear what you're saying. Pat, pat on the head. Um, But when did he do this? Because you're talking about it like it's already been done. And I can begin naming people. I mean, you know, I'll give you the name of a proud person and of a kind of a wicked, evil ruler person and of a... So... And that's true, isn't it? But she is pregnant with the Son of God. She is saying, the Lord who reverses everything has come. And he begins in that day, something that he continues today, he begins reversing everything. And how does he do it today? By his Spirit, through people like you and me. Physically, spiritually, and the program goes on until the Lord returns and culminates it all in a new heaven and in a new earth. What Mary is saying is that the advent of this Jesus, the conception of this Jesus, the birth of this Jesus, the coming of this Jesus changes absolutely everything and definitively. And it's not open to speculation. It's not a might, maybe, probably it will work out well. She's saying, no, Christ has come. It's as good as done. It's awesome. She totally gets it. The God of reversals has come. And he's come to do a work of reversal in every man, woman, and child who will submit to his authority, his rulership, and will receive the free gift of his salvation. And then through every man, woman, and child who does that. In other words, God wants to commission you to be an agent of reversal. And I think that happens when we wake up to the fact that our lives, carefully constructed and put together, mostly without our even thinking about it, have been carefully constructed and put together by the sovereign Lord Himself. He has handed you a magnifying glass, and He's standing here as the most beautiful thing, saying, focus 
on me. Forget about making much of you. You're not that much. Make much of me. You don't last. I do. Don't, don't, don't worry about making yourself bigger anymore. Make me bigger. Don't worry about everybody seeing you. Take yourself off the stage and use your life to let everyone see me. How? By helping reverse the spiritual and the physical fortunes of people. That's a beautiful thing that God calls, I think, every one of us, some way, shape, or form, to be a part of. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, friends, for joining us on today's broadcast. You've been listening to Hope, the radio ministry of Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Tom Hendricks. We trust that you enjoyed hearing from us. Now, we want to hear from you. It takes a large amount of work and a fair bit of expense to produce Hope with Tom Hendricks, and we want to use our available resources wisely. Send us an email, please, and let us know that you're listening and how you're listening to the show. Tell us what station you're hearing the show on or where you found it online. Our email address is hope at riovistachurch.com. That's H-O-P-E at R-I-O vistachurch.com. If the messages are ministering to you and you can help us financially, let us know that in your email and we'll respond with how you can support this radio ministry. If you live in or are visiting the greater Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to have you gather with us on a Sunday morning for worship. For service times and directions to our church, just visit our website, riovistachurch.com. If you do visit with us, let us know you found out about the church through this broadcast, won't you please? Join us again next time as we bring you more Hope with Tom Hendricks. Hi folks, Mark Lautenschlager again. I hope you enjoyed that trek back into history. We did 153 episodes of Hope with Tom Hendricks, and I still have most of them tucked away securely on one of my hard drives. It's really a blast to go back and listen to them sometimes. If you'd like to correspond with us, our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O vistachurch.com. Sam and I would love hearing from you. You can find all the back episodes of Out of Water at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. It's also available through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We'll return with another episode of Out of Water next week, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.